0: Well, we, we often talk in reference to um, kind of pre and post realities. Uh, so we, we certainly in my own era, we think of pre 9-11 world and a post 9-11 world. I think the this pandemic, we're going to be talking about pre-COVID and post-COVID, um, whatever that's going to look like. But there are there are these moments when when the world changes and nothing nothing stays the same. I mean, there are some things that will probably never be the same, and some big things and some kind of small things. But we've we've been changed through the last couple of years. We tend to think of of sort of the awful events as the ones that that uh, are history changing and world changing, uh, wars and disasters and plagues and attacks and deaths and those kinds of things. But but others are happy. These kind of points of of demarcation in in the world. I mean, just within a family, marriage. I mean, that is your life's not the same. Or, or having a children, pre kids and post kids, and and what what how life changes. And even internationally, though, there when the Berlin Wall came down, there was life was was never the same for for so many people. And so there are these watershed moments, these world changing moments, these. Life demarcating moments. Some of them are very personal and kind of family oriented. Some are local, regional, national, global. Some are generational. Some are, again, history changing and, and the world is never the same. And yet, if you, if you only live in the post side of these epic changing moments, it's, it's hard to recognize their full significance, isn't it? it's when you straddle those events, you live in the pre and the post uh, reality that you can see this. So when you're in the post whatever world, it, it's it's easy to think that things have always been like this, or at least it's hard to to comprehend what life was like before that. I mean, I think of young people now just with living in this digital world that they live in, and, and so they, they don't know anything else but touchscreens and And to be able to get an answer from Google, right? You know, on demand entertainment. This is, this is just the world my children are growing up in. This is all they'll ever know. And they can read about and watch, you know, the history channel of what things were like before that. But this is it. And so today we come to, we come to an an event that's of greater significance. This watershed moment in redemptive history. Something new is taking place and nothing will ever be the same again. I can't overstate the significance of what we're what we're seeing here in Acts chapter two. And so let's read the passage together and then we'll look at it together. I want to start back in Acts chapter one, just a couple of verses, verses four to five, and then we'll jump down to chapter two and read through verse 13. And while staying with them, he ordered them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You heard from me' For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Well, we hear the expression fake news all the time now, don't we? And and sometimes... uh it's a proper label, and sometimes it's just sort of used to shut down someone else's viewpoint that differs from yours, and we, we call it that way. But regardless, there, there's I think we could agree there's no shortage of ridiculous claims and strange and fabricated stories that circulate today. And, and so we have this, you know, it used to be through the tabloids when you're checking out the grocery store and you can see these bizarre uh, bizarre headlines, but uh, but the internet internet has made the spread of these false claims just so easy and so rapid and and pervasive. And so th- this has made us, I think, all of us pretty cynical and understandably suspicious when we hear when we hear uh, things that just sound too fantastic to be true. And so and th- so these fake these fake news stories they make it hard for us to believe the quote unbelievable to. That, that that those things really do take place, and so we see we see one such incredible event in our text. That's what we're seeing here, what we just read. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's not a JFK sighting or anything like that. But it is incredible. Something out of the world is what we just read here. It's just happened. Something new, something earth shaking is is taking place. God is coming into this world to live in our midst. Through the indwelling spirit of God. He's doing this given, and it's given through the gospel to all who've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what we'll see today, it's something that's, that is unrepeatable. This giving of the spirit. It's, it's this one-off landmark event in world history. Everything changed then. This was, this monumental shift monumental change in god man relations and so but it's not only though an incredible story about what god did back then because what this it inaugurates this new era this passage this scene it confirms that we have this supernatural relationship with god if we're in christ we the god who gives us the spirit the same holy spirit to all who believe in Christ. And so someone said, Pentecost is not repeatable, but it's also not retractable. That we now live in the spirit age. And so this is the reality. So Jesus said all of this would happen. We read from John 14 earlier in the service. And Jesus promised that He would send another helper who would who would be with us forever and also be in us. And so, at the time, they had known of the Spirit's work, but they known of the Spirit externally. But Jesus says, "Now you're going to experience Him internally as well. He will He will be in you." And so, and as we've seen in the in the opening verses of Acts, during these forty days after Jesus's death and resurrection, and 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 He's appearing to His disciples several times, and at the end. Just before his ascension, he promises again, we read in a moment ago, in verses four to five, he's, he's restating this promise and giving more details that he's, we're gonna be bab- they're gonna be baptized with the Spirit. And down in verse eight, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses. And so the disciples would be baptized with the Spirit. They'd receive this power. They would be, and so that they would be Christ's witnesses to the world. So Jesus told them exactly what would happen. But he didn't tell them exactly how or when it would happen. And so I want us to walk through this passage together and we're gonna, we're gonna note three distinct features and we'll emphasize these with just three words. Spirit, church, and nations. Spirit, church, and nations. And, and so we'll come back to those words, but I just kinda wanna walk through the text first. So look at verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, that group of disciples, we're not told the number specifically, but probably the 120 or so disciples, they were all together in one place. Like we saw last week, the followers of Jesus, they're still, still huddled together. They're waiting for the Spirit. They're united in this fervent prayer while they're waiting. And this has been going now, going on now for 10 days since Jesus' ascension. So Jesus went to the Father. Now they've been gathered together for these 10 days waiting. But they're not here gathered on just any old day. This was one of the three most important days for the year, for, of the year for the Jews. And so this was one of the busiest days of the year in Jerusalem. And so this was the day of Pentecost or the, the Feast of Weeks would be how the Jews would tend to refer to this. And so there were these three Major annual feasts, festivals, and this one along with uh, Passover and with the Feast of Tabernacles. And so these big gatherings, all able-bodied males were supposed to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts each, each year. Uh, this particular feast was celebrated on the 50th day from the first Sunday after Passover. This is not important other than that word Pentecost, that's, it means 50th, that's, and that's where, you, where they get that name. And so it was one of the the harvest feasts they're celebrating the Lord's provision of harvest the first fruits of the wheat harvest and so these grains are brought in and offered to the Lord in the temple that's what's going on normally during Pentecost during feast of weeks and so here's the scene the city's just buzzing with excitement got all these people here devout Jews from all over the place who've been streaming into Jerusalem uh, and, and so for days now, they've been coming in and camping out and staying with friends and family. And the whole population of Jerusalem is just swelling here as, as they're coming in. And so families enjoying meals together and catching up with, you know, siblings and aunts and uncles and, you know, cousins and stuff playing together in the streets they haven't seen for months. And so the temple, the temple, though, is the focal point. This is where the offerings are brought to the priests, and they're presented to God. But but just so much happening in Jerusalem right now, and and yet here's this group of a a hundred plus Jewish men and women who are really strangely absent from all of those festivities. This was weird that they're not taking part in all of this. They're they're this is the first time in their whole lives probably that most of these have not participated. With the crowds and what they're doing outside, and so they're absent from the family celebrations this time. You know, where's Nicodemus? Where is he? Why isn't he with us? Why? why what? He's, he always brings that potato salad every year. It's so good, and you know it's not, you're not, I mean, they're not in the temple with the crowds. They're not taking part in all the hoopla around Jerusalem. There, there's all this kinds of commotion and celebration outside, all over Jerusalem. What are they doing? They're huddled together in this upper room in prayer and in anticipation of the fulfillment of what Jesus said would take place. And so they're watching and they're waiting just as Jesus commanded them to do. And it's on this day that God chooses to send His Spirit to birth the church and to just initiate this worldwide harvest of souls which is the only thing that explains you and I sitting right here where we're at today. We, our lives have been forever changed for eternity by what happens in this passage right here. And we're swept up into what God is doing. That ongoing mission of our triune God. And so, again, back in the text. All the preparations have been made. Jesus has made this, this promise. He is, The perfect day is at hand. God's people are together. They're they're enjoying the sweetness of fellowship and prayer together. And then then it happens. The moment that they've been anticipating, it finally arrives. Verse 2, "...and suddenly, unexpectedly, out of nowhere, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them." and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now listen, there wasn't a person in that room that wondered if it had finally happened. Was that it? Uh, Is that all? Is, Is the Spirit here now? No, it was unmistakable. Like all... Watershed moments in redemptive history, if you just go back from Old Testament to New Testament, these significant moments in 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 history, as the Bible lays it out, like all of those pentecost it's a, it's accompanied by this spectacular miraculous occurrence which both one authenticates that this is actually the work of God, and then two it's it's this meaningful symbol that this some some earth shaking moment has taken place some change has taken place and so there was there was this uh evidence into the ears the sound of wind filling the house again no no warning it was sudden there was no like gradual buildup it was like a tornado you know you hear the train coming or something like that it just was there and it was it was supernatural the text says it was from heaven this wasn't some earthly man-made sound that they were trying to figure out what in the world is that noise it was otherworldly we could say and it was it was symbolic and in the in, in Hebrew and in Greek the word for spirit is is the word for wind and so it's the same so John 3 remember Jesus talked with Nicodemus about the need to be born again to be born of the spirit not just of water and so the wind blows wherever it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And then Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's this, this connection between the Spirit and wind throughout Scripture. And so now it doesn't say that an actual wind blew through. It doesn't mean like, you know, papers were going everywhere and, you know, the hair was going crazy and stuff like that for those that have hair. And, you know, it was just it was just total chaos. And it doesn't say that. Talking so about the sound, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. You've probably you probably understand. You've probably heard like a just a gale force wind and the the noise. Carson and I and Kara and I were up at hiking in Cloudland Canyon State Park last week and, and it was a really windy morning, cold, windy morning, and, and just you could just hear that sound through that can through the canyons. There's two canyons kind of converging there and all that wind and all those trees and everything. And it's very very loud, but but this is this would have been just probably a deafening sound, and so there were so there was there was there was uh, evidence to the ears. There was also evidence to the eyes. There was visible evidence. There were tongues like fire that appeared. Verse three and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And so these fire like manifestations that resembled tongues settling on each person in the room. Now I have. I don't even know how an artist would give any kind of representation of what this looked like. I don't know what it looked like, other than what the text says. But they clearly, this is what they, they understood this to, to symbolize. Now, fire is something in scripture that symbolizes God's presence. We see this in many places. We see it in Moses and the burning bush. We in Israel in the wilderness are led by a pillar of fire, just showing God's presence leading them. And Mount Sinai, same thing, fire. And so John the Baptist, you remember, he prophesied that Jesus would would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there's there's this symbolism, this connection, this this communicating something. This isn't just nah, I think I'll just do fire that'll that'll wake them up. Uh, they're a bunch of pyromaniacs or something that'll they'll love that. And no, this is saying this is God's presence. The Spirit is among you. It's wind, this fire. And and it's manifested in the form of tongues. That the power of God's spirit—it's it, it, through verbal proclamation. That's what's going to transpire here. So what a just what a scene! Just enter into this. Try to just dust you know the your, your memories and your understanding. Just try to enter in with the freshness. What a scene! All of this audible, visual, external, sensory manifestations making it absolutely clear to these believers that are get huddled together up there that the holy spirit the promise of the father he's come he's come jesus said he had to come it's better that i go away so that he comes wait wait he's coming don't do anything until he comes because you need the spirit and here spirit's come and there's more there's 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 oral evidence in the sense that the the, the that's speaking in tongues. So when the flaming tongues rested on each person, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, so these disciples, they're not just baptized by the Spirit like Jesus said would happen. Just wait a few days from now. They were also now filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and so I want to distinguish really quickly, and this is sort of a rabbit trail, but we're going we're gonna to see this. This was kind of Prepping for what we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, but we distinguish between those terms between being baptized with the Spirit or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, uh, because those sometimes get confused. So in Acts one verse five, again Jesus said his followers would be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now, and that's what's happened here at Pentecost. Baptism that that just means immersion. There, this is that initial reception of the of the Holy Spirit, and the, and we're being. Identified with Him, completely immersed with Him, with the Spirit. He's in us now. And so, after this sort of transitional period in the book of Acts, this is something God does for every single person at the moment of conversion. When we trust in Christ, the Spirit indwells us, we're baptized, we're immersed into the Holy Spirit. Nowhere do we find in the New Testament our are, are, are believers ever commanded to be baptized in the Spirit or with the Spirit. You don't find that command. It's not an experience we're to seek. It's something that God does to us, for us, at salvation. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul's, Paul says it this way, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's what he's talking about. So Christians... If you're a Christian, you are you are you are you are one in whom the Holy Spirit, the true and living God, has given His Spirit. Now, this is being baptized in the Spirit, dwelt by the Spirit. So those who've been baptized by the Spirit, all believers, can then subsequently be filled with the Spirit. It's a distinction here, and this is something that all believers are commanded with Ephesians five eighteen. And another place is unlike baptism. That's this one-time event. The filling of the Spirit is something that happens happens repeatedly, and so I I, we you see this. We'll see this throughout Acts. Just give you a few examples, and there will be others that we come across in Acts chapter four, verse eight. Peter's filled with the Spirit. The text says, and he's courageously speaking to these authorities who are opposing him. In Acts four thirty-one. Believers are filled with the Spirit and they speak God's word with boldness. In Acts chapter six, verse five, and chapter seven, verse fifty-five, Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit as he stands strong in the face of persecution. And will again, there will be a lot of other examples. But for the sake of time, I just I want you. So, with all that said, let's get back to the text here. I don't I don't want us to get too distracted by this, but I do want us to see this distinction because it's going to be important as we walk through Acts. Um, and and so. This is this unique, transitional, unrepeatable, history-changing event that we're seeing here at Pentecost. The Spirit comes, they're baptized in the Spirit just as Christ promised, and they're filled with the Spirit then and begin speaking in tongues. And now can you imagine the scene? Again, this this isn't a bunch of people speaking gibberish. That's not what's speaking in tongues. They're speaking other languages that they don't already know. This is the, this language miracle that, 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 that they, they begin to speak in. This 120 disciples start speaking in these other known languages. And so you aren't shocked if Karen Thorne starts, stands up and speaks in German uh, or Spanish or one of the many languages that Karen Thorne knows because she, she knows those languages. But if, if, uh, or, uh, if Van started, stood up and started speaking in German, I don't think you know German, uh, we would say wow that's that's a miracle like he 's speaking and 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 Karen could confirm yes see that's German and that's really good german it 's good dialect and everything and so uh you know we we but but if an instant and in, if if you could speak with with right vocabulary and good grammar and even verse eight indicates the uh, even the dialect is right that that would there's there's no southern accent in the way you're speaking in these languages or or whatever that's what 's happening here. So this deafening wind-like noise, this these tongues of fire, all of these languages being spoken, and the spirit's rumblings in that upper room where those disciples are gathered together, closed behind closed doors, it suddenly spills out in the streets below, and all of those remember all of those thousands of pilgrims who've made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and all of those residents of Jerusalem. That are that are around this house where the disciples are gathering. They they're trying to figure out what in the world's going on. These are these are not houses that are well insulated, and you know we we don't hear the cars driving by. I mean, it's just like camping, basically, the way they're living in open air and open windows, and you hear everything. You hear the neighbors and all the arguments next door, and you hear it all. They're living really close in confined spaces and packed in this city, and so they're curious. It's like when ambulances in your neighborhood or you see a fire truck go by, you go, What's going on? And, you know, so I'm, this is me anyway, I'm confessing. I, you know, I'm just going to go for a walk and just, <laughs> I mean, I'm curious, I'm always curious. What is going on? I'm, I'm concerned and I'm curious. And, and so I, I want to find out what's happening. So, what all these crowds are trying to figure out, what in the world is all that noise about? And And, and as they're moving toward this house, towards this sound, The 120 disciples start streaming out of the house, speaking in all of these different languages. It's like the Olympic Village. Just all, I can just imagine being placed here. All these different languages being spoken at once. And that's kind of the scene. And so look how, look how Luke describes the city's response to this crazy phenomenon. Verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, at this sound, All that, the noise, the wind, the speaking. At this sound, the multitude came together. This enormous crowd of pilgrims and residents, they come together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. You have all these different people from all these different languages and all these different cultures that are there. Never before in all of their pilgrimages to Jerusalem have they heard their language is spoken so well outside of their own country. Now listen, they, they also speak either or probably both Greek and Aramaic. So they when they're, when they're there in, the, in in Jerusalem, they're speaking languages that they all understand. But these these people coming from these different places, they have their native tongues. So if you've lived overseas or traveled overseas, you understand there's like... A trade language that everybody understands and can speak together, and then there are these other there are these languages of these different people groups, and they have their own dialects. And so here they are; they're they're hearing their own language, their own dialect. They don't ever hear that away from their village or from their little region that they live in. And so they're just they're dumbfounded, and and their response, honestly, it seems kind of appropriate. So their their confusion about what in the world is just going on, it turns to amazement. When they, when they realize that the ones that are speaking their languages with such clarity and with such perfect dialect, these are Galileans. Verse 7, and they were, I mean just look at these, bewildered. Now, they're amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? These uneducated, backwoodsy Galileans. These are not cultured people who've traveled and know these different languages. No, no, these are these are they can hardly speak their own language without butchering it. These Galileans, and here they're speaking all of these foreign languages flawlessly. They can't believe what they're hearing, and and, and the text says they were they were amazed. And, and literally, the tense of this is that this was something that was continuous. They just kept on being continually astonished and amazed. They couldn't get over what they're hearing. And, and so they listen with their mouths open and they're just shaking their head. It's what in the world is happening? And then Luke lists off these 13 different people groups, these different language groups that were present that day. They're hearing their own native tongues spoken by these Galileans. We, verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And again, and they and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, now here's the question: Not just what in the world is going on, what does this mean? What does this mean? What, what's the, what's the meaning of of this? We're amazed, we're astonished, we're perplexed. Now what does this mean? So the crowds they're 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 not just amazed at what they're hearing; they're curious as to what it means. And so there must be something supernatural behind this and not just because these galileans are speaking foreign language but but also because they're they're speaking in public with such confidence talking about the mighty works of God and so these Jesus followers who've been hiding who've been huddled together in that upper room away from everybody else hiding away frightened like little mice just since Jesus death and resurrection and and now they're like lions they're roaring in the streets unafraid they're, they're testifying to the mighty works of God what does this mean and we'll see next week many in this crowd who are here perplexed who are asking what in the world does this mean they will come to understand what this means they'll come to understand the gospel we'll see next Sunday and they'll believe but not everyone And so many deny this obvious miracle in And they made fun of those who are speaking in these languages. Verse 13, but others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. They're just drunk. This is like, you know, liquored up for breakfast. That's all this is. That's the best explanation they could come up with for what they're hearing and seeing. Now how in the world, I've seen a lot of drunk people in my life, but I've never seen any of them be able to speak another language they don't know without a... With perfect dialect, I, I don't know how they make that connection. It's not logical, but but that's unbelief, isn't it? That's the darkened mind, and, and and so no sign or wonder is going to convince the darkened mind apart from the grace of God, the work of the Spirit of God in a in a life that was true for all of us. The Lord had to open our eyes, but 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 so so this is what we have, and and even just note this right away from the moment of conception. From the, or the moment the church is birth, there's already opposition. There's already people mocking the church. So, so what what starts here, just as the church is just out of the womb with the Spirit coming and the birth of the church, it's going to be true throughout the history of the church. It's true today. People will be mocked. Christians will be mocked. The gospel will be will be attacked. Um, and so we shouldn't be surprised by that, even in our own context. All right, so. That's walking through the passage. Now I want to come back. I mentioned three words at the beginning, and I want that, that show us these three distinct features of this, this watershed moment, this turning point in human history, spirit, church, and nations. And so this scene in that we're looking at here, it's not just about Jesus kind of dotting some I's, crossing some T's. Yeah, there are these things that I said would happen, and then you go do your thing. That's not what this is about. I said I'd send another helper. So here he is. Now let's keep going. That's not this. This this isn't just one more random but interesting scene in the book of Acts or in history. This is is a critical, critical turning point in God's big story that he's writing. This This is monumental. This is like tectonic plate shifting moment here. The point of Pentecost, it's not to just kind of put on a cool show for them or for us even as we look back at it. The point of Pentecost, it's mission. It's the plan of God. It's the furtherance of His cause in this world. That's what this is about. And the goal of mission is Habakkuk 2.14, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And so I want to expand those three words in a few minutes here, and I want to do it in reverse order, though. So first, nations, nations. God's plan is to be worshipped among the nations. This isn't a new plan that that's unfolded here in Acts. This is, was His plan from the beginning, and this is this 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 again watershed moment as it's taking uh, taking shape. And so it's interesting that Luke uses so much ink. Notice in verses nine to eleven to. To go, to give us this long list of nations and people groups and languages of, of folks that were there. Different geographical areas, different linguistic groups. And so you have, for us, we do modern Iran and Iraq and uh, parts of Africa, Syria, Turkey, Mediterranean islands, and, and Rome. And so the key to the list is in verse five. It represents, the text says, men from every nation under heaven. Men from every nation under heaven, all of these representatives of the nations the Lord wants to reach, they're gathered in Jerusalem at the same time when the Spirit comes, when the church is born, and so these devout men, religious people, you know, Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, uh, Gentile converts to Jerusalem, and so they're there for this religious feast, and they they have no idea. That Jesus is their Messiah. They have no clue that he's come and he's already made full atonement for their sin through his death and resurrection. They don't understand. Now Peter is about to stand up, and he's gonna make this crystal clear to them in this sermon that he's gonna preach. But what a picture. All these people from all of these nations. What is this, what should this draw our minds back to? What is this pointing to? It points us back. All the way to Genesis 10 to 11. These table of nations, these people from different places. What do we find there in Genesis 10 to 11? People from different nations speaking one language, one language. And they're wanting what? To displace God by building this city, building this tower, this tower of, we came to be Tower of Babel. But what happened? God judged them. And he confused all of their Languages and he scattered them across the earth because they couldn't communicate together. And so what do we find here at Pentecost? It's, it's God's pointing to here by God's grace and by his blessing. He's, he's turning confusion. They're perplexed. They're astonished. What does this mean? He's turning confusion into a miracle of speech now and of recognition and, and understanding. And so Pentecost, it's a reversal of the Babel scattering. And so here's what I want you to see the Spirit's gift of speaking in tongues, it's given to see the gospel go to the nations. And that's exactly what happened. Remember, just days earlier, Jesus commissioned them to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the mission, that this is the mission. That mission starting off with the bang. The Spirit comes and it's go. The last people Luke will mention in the book of Acts, you could turn all the way back to Acts, Acts 28, and the last people Luke mentions in his list are, quote, visitors from Rome. I mean, I'm sorry, the last people he mentions here in Acts 2 uh, of this list of people groups is, are visitors from Rome, which is, again, just, just, just about the ends of the earth as they understood it at the time. Now, where does Acts end? Acts ends with Paul in jail in Rome. And what does he find when he ends up in Rome in prison? He finds believers. He finds fellow Christians, brothers and sisters. How did they get there? We're not told, but it's very likely that they believed in Christ in Jerusalem through the preaching of Peter and the other disciples at Pentecost and they went home as witnesses for Christ and bore witness to Him there where they lived in Rome. And so this miraculous event Enabled the church to be launched into all kinds of places, all these different places, as these people return to their homelands. Now, again, one thing this passage shows us again is God's purpose. It's big. It's for the nations. He has this unique role that Israel plays in, in his redemptive purpose and plan. But it, 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 even through Israel, it's the nations are to be blessed. And this is what we find when we look to the end: Revelation chapters 5 and chapter 7. John has this vision of worshipers around God's throne. What do we find? We find these people purchased for God by Christ's blood. And the text says, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Listen, church, we cannot relax or slow down when there are nations. There are whole people groups souls who have yet to hear the good news about Christ. For the good of their souls, yes. And for the glory of God. For His worship among the nations. The goal of God's plan, of His mission, it's it's His worship and glory among the nations. And that's what's best for every soul. And that's what, that's what we're made for. And so, as these Spirit-filled men and women, they proclaim the mighty works of God, as Peter preaches the gospel later that same day on Pentecost, every single soul added. And on that day alone, there were 3,000 plus added. Every one of them was a worshiper of the Lord that was added. And listen, God's, God's mission didn't terminate there. It hasn't terminated here. North Fayette County. His mission is not to keep us comfortable until Christ returns. His mission is to be worshipped among the nations as we go out as His witnesses, Christ's witnesses, in the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. We need need to stay globally minded, church. We need to have nations in mind. Second word. And these will be quicker. Church. 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 The church is the conduit through which God's mission of being worshiped, God's plan of being worshiped among the nations will be accomplished. The church is the conduit. And so at Pentecost, Jesus sends his Spirit and he births the church. This is the church's beginning. And it's through this new body that he's going to further his cause in the world. This is part of wait till the Spirit comes so the church can be born. And it's through that conduit that God's plan of, of, of being worshipped among the nation's advances. And so uh, the, the Lord has formed this one body of Christ, the church, redeemed Jews, redeemed Gentiles on equal footing. That's what we'll see unfold through Acts. And I just say one purpose or our purpose is a local church. It's not to focus on ourselves. It's not about our personal happiness and comfort I mean we want to be happy and comfortable and, and we want we want those things and so it's not we're not aiming for the opposite of that but the purpose is not securing that and preserving that the purpose is not to provide a safe alternative for our children though we want that the purpose of the church is not to give us something to do on Sundays because there's a lot of other things you could be doing and it's beautiful day like today and sunny out there and it's not the purpose of the church isn't to regulate morality and tell you, you know, how to do everything you do in life and give you a bunch of rules to live by. That's not it. The purpose, the reason we exist is to speak the mighty acts of God. It's, it's to spread the message of Christ to all the nations. This is our stated mission. Again, we talk about it often. To, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Christ at home and abroad. And that's got to just be burned into our brains and etched upon our hearts, brothers and sisters. Collectively. So, nations. we we got to understand and embrace that we we, we ought to care. We ought to have God's heart for the nations and that's got to be pulsating within us so that we are mindful that the world is not us and our, our little situation. It's a big world and God cares about it and we should care. And it's And if God's going to reach this world, He's not going to do it apart from the church. He's going to do it through the church with all of its warts and all of its flaws and all of its messiness. We're doing this together, brothers and sisters. And and yet, that that brings us to the third word, Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power given to the church for the fulfillment of God's plan to be worshipped among the nations. Everything that happens, everything that we remember when we began Acts, everything that Christ continues to do and teach, everything is by the Spirit's power. It's all. Before Pentecost, the Spirit was already active in the world. He was already regenerating hearts. He was already empowering people to serve God. But He didn't permanently indwell believers And that changed at Pentecost, though. But on the day of Pentecost, those gathered disciples, they're baptized with the Spirit. And every time the Gospel went to new places, we're going to see this, every time there are these new fields that are opened up, the Spirit is poured out again. And in Acts 8, it's the Samaritans. In Acts 10, it's the Gentiles. In Acts 19, the followers of John's baptism uh, 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 in Ephesus. And all of these advances came as... As what? As Spirit-filled believers speak the Word with boldness. Spirit, Spirit is, is working. He does so many things for us. We could do a whole series on the work of the Spirit. He sanctifies us. He helps us to understand His Word, illuminates the Scriptures. He helps us to pray. He comforts us and on and on and on. But a primary reason that Christ sent the Spirit is for the purpose of mission. It's why we exist. The Spirit was given to the church so God's mission could be accomplished, His plan could be accomplished among the nations. So we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we would courageously bear witness for Christ. We need to be filled with God's Spirit so that we speak the Word of God with boldness. We need to be filled with God's Spirit so that we stand up under persecution. We need to be filled with God's Spirit so that new fields are open for us, through us, for the Gospel's advance. Not just us as individuals, but but that we need a mighty movement of God's Spirit working through us and in us together. Are you passionate? Are you passionate about seeing the nations glorify God through the Gospel? Is your heart full of compassion for those around the world, the lost around the globe, for the lost across the street, are you committed to the church that this is God's conduit for worldwide mission? Are you actively drawing into relationships within the church for the sake of mission? Are you or are you filtering the kind of the toxic air of individualism and isolation out of the culture? Third, are you, constant, are you consciously dependent upon the Holy Spirit to see God's cause advance in the world through us? Are we, are we, in, are we yielding ourselves fully to the Lord, depending on Him to step-by-step to, to step walking by the Spirit, begging for the Spirit to open up doors for the Gospel to embolden His church? So we live in a, we live in a post, post-Pentecost world. Post Pentecost world. Now, again, like we remember, we how we opened up because we didn't straddle it. We weren't living pre-Pentecost and post-Pentecost. We're just post-Pentecost. Because of that, it's easy for us to forget just how incredible and how significant it is to live in the Spirit age. We can take it for granted, and so today the Spirit of God continues working powerfully, personally. In us and through us, according to His Word. Let me just give you a little. Uh, this is uh, something I read recently. Uh, J.I. Packer, "Keeping Step with the Spirit," it's a book that's been out a long time. But he shares a brief excerpt in, this, in his book from a letter that was written by some missionaries um, uh, in Manchuria in 1908. Just listen how, how they say. It. They say a power has come into the church. They wrote that we cannot control, even if we would. And so then they describe how these Chinese nationals, they're, they're confessing sins that they would ordinarily never admit to in public. It's in this, in that shame-based culture that prizes, you know, honor and self-respect. They were, they were going so far as to, to quote what he says, demean themselves, even to beg, by begging fellow believers to pray for them, for these sins. And this is what he, and I, this is the letter goes on. Perhaps you will say it's a sort of religious hysteria. So did some of us. But here we are, about 60 Scottish and Irish Presbyterians, if you know anything about Scottish and Irish Presbyterians. They don't tend to be the most you know, out there people. We've all shades of temperament, and as, and as much as many of us shrank from it at first, every one of us who has seen and heard what we have every day last week is certain there is only one explanation that it is God's Holy Spirit manifesting Himself. What do you, what do you think of that? Listen, the same Spirit that Christ sent at Pentecost is still with us and still working today. Manifestations may be different because there was a period of transition. We're not living in the day of inauguration, but we are living in the age of the Spirit. And his power is undiminished, and I, and I say that because I think there's great encouragement for us here as we as we're praying and we're we're longing to see our church more and more aligned and revived that the Lord might work through us to be more active witnesses of His and more aligned with the Great Commission in our community and around the world. As we long for that, listen, it's not like um, our job is to like. We got to get ourselves revved up. We got to get ourselves to go. We got to, you know, give pep rally and get ourselves pumped up so we can get out and start something for the Lord. That's not it. The goal is not like we got to we got to start this thing up. And so cuz cuz nothing's going to happen if we don't do it. No, what we're saying is the spirit is alive and he's active and he's working in thousands and thousands and thousands of ways that you don't even recognize. He's preparing hearts. He's opening eyes. He's, he's bringing people in his providence to intersect with believers who, who are ready to share the gospel. He's, he's working. He cares about the nations and he's working through the church, even a church like ours. And he's, and his spirit is, is active, brothers and sisters. So what, so our mindset doesn't need to be, hmm, I gotta get myself started. I gotta do something. My mindset is the Lord is working. He's all over the place. He's, he's working. There's, there's no question about that. I want to jump in with that. I want to be aligned with what God is doing. His ongoing mission. The ongoing mission of our triune God and His Spirit is working. Because, listen, if there's anything Scripture makes really clear, it's this definitive statement, and this is a summary statement, really. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by us. It's not by our influence. It's not by our ingenuity. It's not by our personality. What? It's by my Spirit, says the Lord that should give great encouragement to us, church. Let's pray. Lord, would you, would you encourage us with that thought, Lord? Lord, we, we will never be as dependent, consciously dependent upon you and your spirit as we should be, Lord. But we thank you. We thank you that, that, that you don't hold this out to us as a, a bar that we have to somehow climb over, Lord. We thank you that Christ, you were dependent upon the Spirit perfectly on our account, and we thank you that that righteous dependence that you lived with throughout your ministry here is credited to us by virtue of your sacrifice in our place. And so now we in freedom, not because of guilt, not be, not to soothe our our um, our our guilty consciences, Lord, but but in freedom, Lord, we have the opportunity to run with You and to, to join in with what You are doing now by Your Spirit in opening doors for the Gospel to go to the nations. Thank You that, that that's come to us, Lord. It's only by Your grace that we are here, that we are saved, that we know life and peace and joy and hope in Christ. And we beg You, Lord, to use us and to, to grow in us a desire to be used by you um, to to leverage our lives for, for the sake of the gospel that others would know that joy and hope for the glory of God we ask in Jesus' name, amen.